Spark Nation. I'm Jim Wyant, founder of ETF.com and CEO of Spark Network. And this is Pennies from Heaven, a podcast featuring choice insights and lively debate with all the biggest names in the ETF world and beyond. Join us each week to receive Pennies from Heaven straight from the nattering nabobs of investment as they discuss hot button topics and what's to come. Hi, everyone. It's Jim Wyatt from Spark Network, and we are here. We got the gang back together. Dave Abner from Gemini, Dave Nodding from ETF Trends, and Eric Valchunas from Bloomberg. And last time we were on, we talked about GameStop. We talked about the, the mobs taking over the market. And now we're talking about Bitcoin, which seems to be the, the only thing anyone's talking about. Um, I'd love this conversation to go wherever you guys want to take it. Hopefully we can find some areas to disagree on. You haven't been afraid, Dave Nodig, to prognosticate as to the launch date of a Bitcoin ETF. So why don't we start with that? Sure. I, I've been very specific for very stupid reasons. The stupid reason is we know the date that BTCC started trading in Canada and the Toronto exchange or specifically the OSC in, in Ontario is often the stocking horse for innovation that we eventually get here in the United States once the SEC catches up. Uh, and you know, six months to the day from when BTC started trading would be August 18th. So I put that out as my flag in the sand. Now, obviously, I have no reason to think it's going to be literally on August 18th. But I think actually this fall is a pretty reasonable time frame. The filings that we have are frankly, all very boilerplate. They're really almost exactly the same filing, the seven or eight that are currently live in the US. So if we're going to get anything, I think we're going to get some response by this fall. I know that there's a couple of people have their timer started. Van Eck has their 45-day timer started. That doesn't really mean anything because the SEC can just say, we'll get back to you in 45 days. And then they kick another 45 days. So I think we're talking about the fall. I suspect what we'll get is first a round of, by the way, you need to tell us these things in your refiling, and then everybody will refile and everything will get approved. That's my prediction. But I want to hear Balchunas's take on this, because I think you may disagree. No, I pretty much agree with that. I think you had the date of August 31st? 18th. August 18th. All right. Okay. I had <laughs> September 30th. Normally on this front, I would be one of the most liberal people, but even Dave is a little more liberal than me. That said, I wouldn't be surprised if it's sooner. First of all, Reggie Brown, who we know the SEC communicates with and gets a lot of uh, guidance from in terms of the market making in 2018 said that this is not ready. And then at the ETF awards, he said, and I quote, it's time. <laughs> I mean, God has spoken. That just reaffirmed <laughs> that something has changed. You can feel it too. You can just feel it. The Canadian ETFs trading, the volume they saw, Ether came out. They're all trading at nice, um, tight premiums, just as we thought. Arbitrage mechanism is kicking in. I mean, how could you not approve them at this point? I think you're almost doing a disservice by not doing it because you're moving people to things that are Bitcoin-like but aren't as good as an ETF. And that's something Hester Peirce has reiterated over and over, although she's been alone, but I have a feeling she's now got uh, a bigger group on her side. And Gensler is a crypto guy. 
So I, you add all that up. I don't know what they put out in terms of what they're worried about. You can't say that the issuers are going to have solved all that, but that doesn't matter. It's just it, they mentally come around. And I always thought they were worried about a PR catastrophe. Oh, we approve this and something goes wrong. And all of a sudden we're on the cover of the FT getting like dragged for approving this. I almost feel like now the PR is worse if they don't. Right. And so <clears throat> it's just everything's changed. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised sooner, but I'll still stick to September 30th as my over-under. Isn't a big driver the fact that the, the products that are out there that have attracted all these assets are crappy products? Like they just are crappy products. It's I know. They definitely, they definitely don't help very much. I mean, like I, GBTC, as nice as it is, is really difficult to love. It's trading at what, like a 20% discount right now? I mean, with no way for that to ever go away. I, I admire the ingenuity of creating this incredible annuity, but <laughs> I'm not sure it's a you great know, investment for anybody. It's interesting, right? Years ago, uh, when ETFs really started getting popular, I wrote somewhere like the death of closed-end funds, right? It's over. Why would closed-end funds ever continue to grow with ETFs growing? And yet, over the last five years or so, we've seen a lot of assets outside of the Grayscale products flow into closed-end funds. So there's lots of different reasons why these things happen. Look, I think uh, the Grayscale products serve the need for investors. More interesting to me, so I'm totally aligned with you guys on launches on, like, I think it's a third quarter. We're going to see some ETFs in the market. But what is it going to look like? Are you talking huge volumes and huge asset flows or not a lot of assets? Why don't we put a mark on it? What is your under over for total AUM in the new ETFs December 31st, <laughs> 2021? Everything's so got to be a bar bet. We're past the first assumption. It's happening. I'm with you. Now let's lay it on the line. Oh, I, I, I like think it's, I think it's a billion. I don't think it's I don't think it's enormous. I don't think it's like fifty billion dollars moves out of grayscale overnight. I'm sorry. What's the due date in a week or a day? No, say? no. At the end of the year. End of the year. We all think that we're going to have them trading. So what will the assets be by the uh, end of the year? Let's say assume they trade by the fall. I, I would go with. Um, let me just do some back of the envelope math. 30 billion. 30. That's yeah. a big number. I'll tell you why. I'm way more than one. I'm way more than one. I'm less than 30. I would say. Yeah. Five, right? I mean, did you say a billion, like a billion dollars? That's like, uh, I mean, that that's like a one day affair in some of these ETFs today. Really? A billion seems extraordinarily conservative for you. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that they the reality is we've seen so many institutions who they would did that put in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I understand they did, and that's but, like but, that's one twenty seventh the size of the U.S. But but my point is like if you look around the world and you look at all the Bitcoin products ETPs that are trading everywhere, you have to ask yourself: Is any of that money going to leave those products to come to the U.S.? Initially, eh, probably not. So no. you've already no. got all the smart institutional money that's already figured out where to get their exposure. You've already got tons and tons of institutional pools that have figured out how to trade directly as opposed to even going through an ETP. So by the time this launches, I actually think that the demand curve is going to be smaller and smaller. And I also think that we have to think about what's going to happen with, with GBTC, right? Because that has been the target vehicle for things like 40 Act funds in the US. Yeah. The question is whether you think that money just immediately sells at a huge discount to buy over here in the new ETF land. And I think that there's going to be some reluctance to do that. I think you're wildly wrong. And, and wow. the reason is, I think you're framing it incorrectly. 
I don't think it's the money bleeding. I think it's tons of new money coming in. Yeah. Like tons of new retail money coming in. I just think it's almost like throwing a fish. Like it's a stocked pond that hasn't been fished in for five years. And they keep stocking it every year. First person who throws a worm in that, it's a gobble. They're going to literally eat the fishing pole. So I just, just, I just don't, think, I don't think this is going to be like $100 billion in net new money that wasn't in crypto at all that just magically shows up. I think it's a couple billion. I don't think it's a giant like three he's months, $100 billion run. He's up from a billion to two. I no. am, <laughs> we're moving him along. He'll be about uh, 10 billion by the time we're I done. Think 10. I think Look, 20 10. billions in the bag. I give you. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? So, what about you, Abner? What's your over under? Well, you, I think this is a little short, right? I think that, and I've been saying this for a while, I think that digital asset ETPs are a $100 billion business over the next few years. So it's hard to tell the first sure. three months, but I, but I think, and I think that's why you're seeing. However, there's, I'll throw a wrench in the works. Well, there's a couple of wrenches in the works. One, I actually think there's a lot of disrupting products coming out. So I, I want to talk about FTX and what they're doing with their leverage products and leverage tokens. But I also want to talk about GBTC because I'm interested. I have another, I'd love to get some more metrics from you guys. What do you think is going to be the discount ranges in GBTC on the launch of an ETF. It's at a 20, I think you said today, a 20% discount. Where do you think that's going to go? What happens? So my, my prediction is that um, Grayscale will do what they did last time, which is they're going to start buying up shares on their own. For They never actually bought shares yet. They announced they, they announced they were they going, announced they they were going to do that. So I That's think that what trick. they're going to do Everybody is, does that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what they'll end up doing is acting as a buyer of last resort on some metric. I, I suspect anything south of much of 20% on the discount, they're just going to go start buying up portfolio assets to keep the thing viable. I don't think they're going to allow it to trade down to a 50% discount. I think the selling pressure will probably be there. But again, some of this is self-fulfilling, right? If you're already sitting at GBTC, are you really going to sell at a 50% discount to go buy at a half a percent premium when the ETF is launching? I think that's a tough nut to swallow. So I'll ask you a question about that, right? You can look at some of the Grayscale funds today and they trade at, Litecoin trades at about a thousand percent premium and nobody blinks an eye. So- why would somebody mind at Grayscale, for example, if uh, GBTC traded at a 50 or 75% discount? Like, because they uh, want this to be their ETF and they know that that's the long game. And we should probably talk about clear shares. Do they already have an ETF in the market? Yeah. Well, okay. Hold on. <laughs> Let, let's talk about clear shares. So, okay. Sorry, Jim. First, <laughs> let me just touch on GBTC and just say, I agree with Dave. I don't, QBT was a Canadian Bitcoin uh, similar deal. Close-end fund. When the Bitcoin ETF came out, that one was 11% discount. That was the steepest it got. That is somewhat of a test case for what we might see here. But yeah, it could be a little steeper. They might help. PR is big. I mean, you look at this as a PR expenditure. If it goes too deep, deep you just look bad and worse. And you look like you're like on the wrong side of this shift to the ETF. I think they could potentially say, look, we have an ETF. We have uh, GBTC. Both work. You can choose your your poison, right? One's super liquid. There's lots of trading volume. Yeah, I mean, One that would be the iShares core so. move. Keep That's the exactly thing that what makes I was thinking, of money. The exact same yeah. thought, the two different share classes. Yeah. That said, 
they clearly have a plan because and this is really fascinating. And this is the latest unsolved mystery, which is a panel discussion I want to have at the <laughs> exchange event. And I'll be the, the host, the unsolved mystery guy. Oh, yeah. Thanks for not inviting me to that, by the way. I mean, uh, are you talking to me or Dave? I, yeah, you. To you, Eric. I think you're the one. <laughs> the you can go to the conference. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm not. Or, I, I just had an idea for a panel where you take some of these things that have happened in ETFs where we, we just don't have an answer. It's an unsolved mystery. The latest one is BTC. So you have a fixed income ETF that's plain vanilla, changed its ticker from Fifi or something to BTC which makes no sense. Grayscale takes a equity ownership in that company, ClearShares. Clearly, they want that ticker and they just don't want anyone else to have it. It's a great ticker. BTC now sees $30 million of inflows since it changed the ticker. I don't think that's dumb fish like someone on Robinhood not knowing. It's clearly some big investors come in. I don't know why. So there's two mysteries. One, who would put 30 million into that thing now? And the second mystery is, how will that ticker eventually end up in a grayscale ETF? Will it be a well, conversion? That's the question, because right now, this makes no sense at all, because the fund that this is attached to, this fixed income fund, is a 6C11 compliant actively managed ETF, right? It is as plain vanilla current regulation as you can get, which is 180 degrees from every Bitcoin filing, none of which are 40 Act registered. Literally not one is a 40 Act registered product. The SEC made that really clear four or five years ago that that was not the way this was going to work. So I suppose they're doing this to park the ticker on the theory yeah. that they'll be able to reuse it when they relist a grant or trust somewhere. But like, Do come you on. have to park a ticker. You can reserve tickers with the exchanges for a pretty long time, several years. Uh, why park a ticker? I don't, I don't understand. That's my point. Like, I, I don't understand so why they, people this think this is going to get converted. This has to be, someone has to write about, I, I wish I was in that whiteboard meeting where they figured out, okay, we're going to go to this fixed income company. <laughs> I maybe, don't think maybe that, but look, parking the ticker, that ETF, that fixed income ETF is just a parking place. I used to think that they were going to come in and have the, GBTC convert, but you can't because that's a whole different type of product. So they would convert <clears throat> to this ETF and then they would just steal the ticker and that thing would go back to PIF fund IFI. hold. Can it buy Bitcoin? No, it's a 40 act registered fixed income fund and therefore it's listed state of objectives is to own corporate paper. But if you expand that list through a change of investment policy. So the SEC has rejected all of those filings. Anybody who's tried to say we're going to own Bitcoin in a 40 act wrapper has been booted. Okay. So all we don't do know that. By one. GBTC at what, 10% or so, 5%? So I'm glad you, brought, you went back to GBTC. I just want to talk about the discount once more, right? There were millions and millions of dollars made on the grayscale premium trades, right? Lots of money being made on these. And no concerns about reputational risk. It's a clear story in the paper how institutions were making money on the premiums at the hands of retail investors and things like that, right? Why do you think they might not do something similar on the Grayscale products on the discount side, where they let them run at extreme discounts, and then they do buybacks or something like that, where they manage that exposure. And it could be the continuation of another great trade for 
I wouldn't say industry insiders, but for savvy they, institutional But investors. they can't because the SEC shut down any redemption window from the fund. As it's written right now, that trust has no legal authority to ever process a redemption of any kind. So Correct. all the fund can do legally right now is collect 2% a year and sit on that. So it's $650 million a year that just accrues to Grayscale. But it doesn't Regardless mean they, they might not be able to accept buybacks at some point. The SEC could allow them to. No. But my point is, is like they tried to have a redemption window. They got their hands. Well, that's different. Look, the SEC didn't want to let them backdoor into an ETF. But once the SEC approves ETFs, there's nothing holding them back from allowing them to do this sort of buybacks at some point. If you look at the history of closed-end funds, again, there have been some great trades, right? Closed-end fund activists go in, they open-end the fund, they collect 25% discounts. You know, There's lots of great trades that materialize and that get approved. And so there's all sorts of interesting things coming. I don't think it's uh, the end of the story. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's Look, this is the most interesting thing going on right now. The, oh, really? The, uh, oh, easily. Well, I, last year I would have said ARC. I think ARC, this is actually take ARC's kind of oh. come down to earth a little. They're still interesting, but how this cannonball run race plays out, how does GBTC figure it out? Where's Bitwise? Banek and Wisdom Tree, do they get first nod? Who gets first? If there's three, what about the other guys? If those three <laughs> come out, who wins that race? There's so much stuff that's well, going to play out that's you know, it's like betting on virtual horses yeah it's also in like the idea of they can put ether etfs out after that then you can have actively managed crypto pickers that's there's so whole, much there's absolutely so much there's going so on. much that's opportunity right. in the yeah, crypto once they open it up i i see this as a 50 to 100 billion dollar category within a within a year or two um but i do see 20 30 billion within the first like three or four months don't no, don't disagree with that at all i think Dave Abner never gave his over-under. Well, I did. I said, I said, I think it's a hundred billion dollar industry within the next three years. So I'll, no, but no, no. The three months. We went three year. months. End of year. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. I've, I've been saying for a while, I think in the third quarter, they get, they're going to get approved and it depends on how quickly we can get them listed. So I think well, it's, it's a, coming soon. No, no, dude, we need a number. How much in assets. Abner not going to play. Have on December 31st, 2021. Uh, I'm going to say sort of $20 billion. Okay. I'm yeah, sort of I, right in the middle of you and Jim and um, Dave. I'm taking the, I'm taking the Dave, under. If you're out of the ballpark by this. I'm taking there's, the under. I think there are delays. I think stuff don't get platform approved. I think, yeah, there'll be a billion dollars in this thing. No, damn. And yeah, it could be a couple. No, but that's not even money real money, money anymore. I mean, money flows so fast, right? $20 billion is like, yeah. it, it, I think that's nothing, right? So that moves very quickly. That's your... You can revisit in early January. Wait, twenty okay. billion dollars is nothing. Man, twenty billion. Who have you been hanging out with markets. lately? So look, uh, look. Well, you know, it's it's funny. People people think of the moves in crypto as super dramatic, and they think that the products that offer leverage of a hundred times are wrong for people and shouldn't be allowed. We we saw this conversation last night, and I'm like, the world is sped up, right? We've talked about this before. Technology and the excess capital that people have. And if you have excess capital, you should be taking the greatest risks you can with it. That's the point in excess capital. And so all of these things are, are a function of evolution of the markets and they're all good in my mind. So uh, that's who I hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I think we should talk about FTX and Alameda.
because I think uh, if you think about yeah, guys, everybody's talking about the ETF industry. What's going to turn the ETF industry on its head? The fact that you can bring out tokenized products that look a lot like ETFs and have a lot of different features, and they're already doing it. Uh, that's fantastic. And I think great for investors, going to be a very interesting spot. And people aren't even going to realize that they switch over at some point. I totally agree. I think tokenized securities trading is 100% the future. I don't actually think it's that far a future. I think yeah. the only barriers are regulatory. Dave, you and I talked about FTX a couple months ago about what they're doing there. And to me, what's really going on is markets like FTX are kind of the, the boiler rooms where we're going to figure out how this stuff really works and where the value really is. I don't think FTX in particular is an end state, right? It is a total hack of the regulatory environment, right? You got to basically make a dark pool at a giant broker, and then you own shares of that dark pool in your deposit so that you can then trade these notional tokens. And it, I mean, it's a hack, right? The real solution is to actually tokenize securities trading. And I think we'll get there. And I think there's actually a huge opportunity for the United States to get way ahead on that. Imagine a world where this became a 24-month product project to radically modernize U.S. trading infrastructure, and we put real money behind doing that, we would be the dominant capital players for the next century, not just the last century. No, so like you know what's interesting? So Gemini, Coinbase, we already have radically modernized exchange infrastructures, right? We run 24-7. We update on the fly. We don't do it on weekends. All of this stuff is already there. It's in place. And so actually, I am generally the person that says, Money moves slowly when we talk about people changing investors, right? Why are there still assets in mutual funds? Because it takes a while to shift assets. However, structures actually, I think, move quickly. Like, I think you're right. We will see tokenized equities and securities trading way faster than we imagined. Like within two years, we could have shifted the entire rail system to digital rails. And investors don't need to know or won't even know. That's, to me, what's fascinating about this. Do you, Dave, do you think that this happens as a result of some sort of monolithic regulatory shift? Or do you think this eats away at the edges? But like corporate fine funding seems like the easiest place, right? Instead of floating bonds, you start floating something notional on a crypto exchange. It seems very straightforward to do that in a way that doesn't trigger enormous exchange regulation issues, because a lot of that stuff trades over the counter anyway. So I mean, do you feel like there are pockets where we're going to get real progress first, or do you feel like this is going to have to be a sea change? Yeah, I think it is going to be pockets, right? Because the, the regulatory sea change is five years behind always. That's what we're talking about, Bitcoin ETFs. You have to see it. And so I actually think a lot of the assets and volumes will have shifted and we're already seeing that before we have a very clear regulatory change. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of the large exchanges taking over one of the crypto exchanges because the technology is more advanced in many ways and they want to facilitate that shift. Or, or, or the other way. Based or on the other way. Cap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it, it could be that as well, but that those mergers are coming, I think. Yeah, I agree. How about, how about a different topic for Balchunas? the arc aficionado in the room. So how about the intersection of arc and crypto? So I know, I assume you read it, Kathy Wood um, wrote a research report recently about crypto in the carbon space and the impact of crypto on carbon emissions 
and the ability to be like a, a positive driver actually in that direction. Did you catch that? Yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch in my opinion, but why not? Um, I think it's on brand for her. She's thinking way out ahead and it's food for thought. It definitely made the rounds on Twitter, caused a lot of debate. I think a couple things on that. First of all, ARC is bought into coin very quickly. I, it's already in the top 20 holdings. She's bought it every day from day one. By the way, theme ETFs are now active like Block and ARC and they bought coin on day one. Yeah, that's hurting. Uh, that is really weird. <laughs> I remember Facebook came at it. It was like, who's going to own it on day five or 10 would be the first one. But active is, this is, could be an opportunity for active. But anyway, uh, clearly they like that stock. She likes that stock. She likes crypto. She owns GBTC and ARCW. She's a big fan of it. I personally think she could come out with a crypto ETF where she picks cryptos like active. Although if she's smart, she'd come out with a Bitcoin ETF and then use that in her own crypto picking fund and make even more money if she yeah. wanted because but he's a trusted brand at this point especially in that space so she's got a lot of opportunity here she'll be part of this whole picture in my opinion being an arc for sure but the other thing is the esg aspect in crypto is probably going to be greenwashed i guess to death there's a filing that just came out called esg crypto mining etf which i was like oh, why not right so first of all, there aren't even that many crypto mining stocks that are public. And we're about to write a note. We did an ESG screen on them. None would pass our ESG person's test, uh, but it's active. And the person in the perspective says that if they anticipate there'll be ESG, we can still invest in them. So I don't know. I think this ESG label is going to get thrown on everything crypto just to appease the haters. But will it really matter? ESG is going to get so diluted by getting slapped on everything, it'll mean nothing. I think everybody's focused on one piece of ESG, right? Everybody's focused on the E. And, but if you actually look at the S and the G on these firms, they would be super, very high weighted, right? And it would offset any negative E. So if you look at an ESG score overall, they actually should rate very highly, but people aren't thinking about it that way yet. And well, I think that will come. I mean, think about it, right? What's the whole idea behind crypto? We're talking about banking the unbanked, money for the world, right? Seamless, less faster transactions, less processing people. Think about all of those goods that that the world will benefit from I'm as crypto expands. Yeah, yeah but I, okay, then incorporate yeah. it into your ESG rating. But, but right I asked now, them, no, the I don't miners care are losing a lot of electricity. ESG. I'm just Bullshit. saying that's the ESG. Oh, sorry, Jim. <laughs> the the rap on crypto that's growing and growing is it's bad for the environment. I'm just telling you but, that's the truth. So so look, I get that. And the, the problem with these things is that the math works in both directions depending on how you want to have the argument. If right. all you're doing is saying crypto mining is a net zero impact on society and the economy, and therefore every kilowatt hour spent mining crypto is the same as just like turning the heat up in your house to 100 degrees, then yeah, of course it looks awful. I, but I think that you can look at any growing industry and the same thing is true. You could look at the initial impact of the first electric cars and they were net negative for the environment. Now they're not because the, we dragged the technology forward to the point where we've tipped it into something that is actually a huge net positive for society. Same thing with, do you remember the argument around solar panels 15 years ago and how we were going to destroy the world's environment because we were mining all the precious metals for you know, all the rare earth metals for solar 
solar panels and that was going to drive the poisoning of the entire world. Like we get hyperbolic about these things because we fail to see that these are moments in time. Just yesterday, a major Chinese firm just announced an ASIC for doing ether mining that is something like 15 times more powerful per kilowatt hour than what's currently available. And that's going to be out like in days. So like the curve with which these things collapse, we always underestimate. I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be fast and this will be a non-story. And it'll, it'll By be the time we're done arguing story. about it, it'll be over. Well, yeah. I, I would also say that so much of the ESG debate plays out. It's popular with the media. I don't know how many crypto investors really care all that much. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, true. that's the truth. That said, there's, there's still a hundred billion dollars in gold ETFs, and they they don't seem to care about that, well, right? I will say, gold. Watch this new interesting <laughs> matchup between gold and crypto. The World Gold Council just put out a report saying how they're actually ESG, and it was <laughs> you could tell the subtext was crypto isn't. Mm-hmm. So watch, gold is going to try to own the ESG side. That's why I think this crypto filing is interesting. They're almost like, well, no, not so fast. We're going to actually get ahead of that, and it'll be a battle for who can like be more ESG, but I don't even know if the investors in either of them are that concerned. There could be a few mainstream people in the middle who really care about that. I think it's overblown. Innovation is always environmentally sketchy at the beginning. Just think about like how much environmental waste we create going to space, right? You can look at countless industries, which are really innovation generators. They all have environmental issues because they tend to consume resources to build new things. That's what innovation is. Yeah, I also think like the idea of shaming companies, like I, I just was today, Exxon, it's like got this such bad, I, I'm like, I'm an Exxon customer. I mean, I, I go to the gas station, I take flights. I'm, I'm owning that shit. I'm tired of Exxon getting shamed for the people who use it. It's so annoying. It's like, and then you're talking about like, JP Morgan put out this report like uh, it was like a year ago saying we're all going to die if we don't do something. Then the next report was like all hail uh, our space exploration aspirations. We love (laughs) space. I'm like, dude, rockets use more than like, you know, I could drive for eight lifetimes and not use the same (laughs) amount of carbon that that rocket is using. People are so inconsistent on this issue. I, I just I almost just tune out. I agree. Yeah, it's a tough one. I agree. But anyway, yeah, but look for that label. Crypto and ESG, I think, are going to be uh, two words you hear more and more together. They're, yeah, they're going to come together. And like we said, I think it's going to be a net positive overall, but it's, uh, it's going to take a little bit to get there. Well, if the industry focuses on it, that presumably is a good thing. Like, aside from all the branding, aside from like how it sells funds or doesn't sell funds, if you have people who are running these companies, which use tons of energy, actually concerned about better processes and more efficient processes that spew less carbon into the atmosphere, that's a good thing. So actually, I think the demographics of crypto speak to a more concerned ESG group. So actually, whereas Eric was saying, uh, you know, the miners don't really care. I don't actually think they talk about it too much, but they live it. They walk the walk way more than some, you know, 50-year-old fund manager who's trying to appease the ESG crowd to sell product does. They, they live it in the way they, they tend to live lives. So I think the lower, this, the younger and the demographic that likes crypto is actually in tune with this stuff more than we think. That said, let me ask you a question. So 
let's say that younger investors into crypto, the Fed has killed us, you know, I I need my crypto. How do they reconcile the carbon issue? Or they have to just live in that tension? Well, look, I think it's transition phase, like Dave said, right? This is an innovation period. I think the carbon issues are actually, they're moving so quickly. We saw what happened in China. They moved from fossil fuels over to sustainable very quickly on the mining operations. So I think that was like, it's, you know, oh, didn't realize this is happening and we can, we can fix that technology very quickly to move it in the right direction is the way I yeah, think and about it. Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out too that various cryptos are dealing with this differently too. The major change happening in the Ethereum blockchain, which is where a lot of the noise is about how, how much is getting consumed in just processing the useful transactions, not just moving money around. That's going to a proof of stake, which is going to cut its energy right. production by 90 something percent. And there are solutions here. They come from the energy generation side and they come from the crypto side as well. And actually, a lot of this volume, you know, we're talking about 18 to 24 months of age, right? So before this, when everything was so small, nobody really, it didn't matter. It wasn't having an impact. Now that there's an impact, we're going to switch pretty quickly. I have a question. Agree on the Ethereum piece. Just just the whole crypto thing. Like, there's one thing I can't get over. (laughs) There's so many talented people. And I understand that the the way the Fed treats uh, the dollar and the money, I, I get that whole thing. But is it a currency or not? I felt that crypto people were like all about currency. You started to see, oh, Dallas Mavericks will take crypto as a payment. I saw one store in Philly, a restaurant say, we'll take Bitcoin. That's all gone. You never see that anymore. Then they moved to store of value. That shift always bugged me. It went from a currency to a store of value. And then I'm like, I just think it's just people who are just a little pissed off about the government and they have money and, and they're just making it go up. And there's all these stories that come out of it. There is that element and I can't, I just can't fully get over it. I'm sorry. So I think that people who get hung up on whether Bitcoin is a currency are kind of missing a bunch of points. So currency in our society has all sorts of different features and some of them are addressed by certain cryptos and some of them aren't. I think the end state for Bitcoin itself is that it effectively becomes a pledged collateral asset like drawing rights or uh, real estate or piles of gold sitting in in London vaults. Bitcoin is not going to get used for people buying cups of coffee. It wasn't really designed for it. The infrastructure isn't built for it. But that doesn't mean that crypto doesn't play a role in how you end up buying your cup of coffee. You're just going to do it with something different than full Bitcoin transactions. And we already see this, right? I, I see what you're saying about maybe you're not going to buy pizza with your you know, crypto right now. But if you live in a fairly online world, like most of us have in the last couple of years, there's an awful lot you actually can get done with crypto right now. You can buy books, you can exchange for goods and services, you can go play poker with your friends, you can play video games. And without ever going into the real economy, I went through an experiment like two or three weeks ago of trying to see how many transactions I could make without ever giving anybody any identifying information about myself. And the answer is I ran out of time. Like you can just run around the internet and find people who will take ethernet to get ship you light bulbs. I mean, take Ethereum to ship you light bulbs. I mean, the people are out there and until you give them an address to ship something, they have no idea who you are. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's... uh I just don't go there. I don't go that far into the internet, but I did, it was more about the shift in the selling of Bitcoin. It it did send to, it was currency for a long time and then it shifted. And then it was like, actually we're better than gold. (laughs) 
Well, I, I think I, it's look, you. I, I'm fascinated. I'm not a hater. I just. Dave, I think there's parts- evol- or Eric, I think there's evolving use cases. I think that's what happens with new technologies. Like what were we using the internet for? Well, to sell books and then to do everything, to drive our cars. So I think you're in that stage of mass adoption, evolving use cases, and things like that. Look, I think Ethereum is this platform, right? The world computer is the way the founder puts it. That's a totally different story than Bitcoin. So what happens in, in the news media, actually, is everybody tries to lump it together as, oh, yeah crypto or Bitcoin and Ethereum as, as one thing? And are they the same thing? And they're, they're so different, uh, even as, as platforms, that that's what confuses people to a degree. Yeah. And like that argument that it's kind of a religion, I, I think there's some validity there too. I think there's something Stocks about are a religion too. Look at stocks. For sure. Come on, man. For the, sure. The cult of financial services. Bitcoin is special. You can't blame I don't that. know. It's no a little- way. It's just, I think it's, it's all a little more, but look, it's fine. If Everybody's you changed got... your Twitter feed, it wouldn't seem like such a religion. Yeah, I, I think that's true. <laughs> I also think that there's a huge difference between Bitcoin hodlers who have a certain <laughs> angle on Bitcoin and guys that are really in the crypto space trying to figure out all the interesting stuff that this is going to do for us. I find Bitcoin to be the single least interesting story in crypto right now. Oh, I totally it has agree. been the last four years. It's all, yeah. it's the other stuff we were talking about. It's about disintermediation and the technology. That's, that to me is what's transformative. That yeah. to me is what's exciting. Yeah, right? I agree. Just taking huge inefficiencies out of the system. Yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah, I don't, but there are elements that lock in easily, other elements, not so much, but you know, to me, it's, it's not, I knew I'd be the skeptic on this, on this panel, but yet I'm, I'm not anti at all. I'm not a non-coiner or whatever. (laughs) Bitcoin maximalist is my favorite. I love that term. Eric, did you say you're, did you say you're not a non-coiner? I'm not a non-coiner. Yeah, that means you're an investor. That's what, welcome to to the pool, Eric. The water's warm. (laughs) Yeah, it's never ending. And obviously this is a big deal uh, ETF wise as well, but as I'm just bringing it out of the ETF world and just saying a couple things that um, I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of people who are find some complication in thinking about it. And also the, the people who are really hardcore can, can frighten you a little bit. Yeah, look. Uh, that's I think that's I, true with ETFs too. Yeah, I mean, people were scared of me for a while with ETFs. Gold. It's like gold. They're, it is yeah. like gold. Crypto yeah. nuts, the way they're gold nuts. Yeah, yeah. Guys with bunkers and guns and it's the same crowd. Like the anti, the government is going to get into your bloodstream. That's a small sliver. Actually, I think there's a really smart contingent of people financial service, but all sorts of fintech companies being built around crypto. Uh, it, this is no, not you, the, it's, it's stuff it, like when, when you hear someone say like crypto is inevitable, like they're um, Thanos from the, uh, from the movie. And it's like, easy, easy. There's got to be another way to say that. Right. Yeah, but those are the guys that make news, right? Like that's where right. the headlines go because they want to attract. I am inevitable. I like, I like there, there will be no banks here. in ten years. I like Mark Yusko's take on this better than anybody else's because you know I've known him for a long time, and it's just sort of like probably a fad should probably own some. Like I, I, th- <laughs> I think you can hold both of those things in your head at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I and uh, Paul right. Tudor Jones uh, turned me a little bit when he was like, because that's a guy I was like, you'd think. He- Seems like a guy would be skeptical of crypto, but he bought it pretty, I don't know, not early, but he was maybe a couple of years ago. And he said, the people involved are very talented. 
and they're tech focused and you, you want to be part of what, whatever is going on over there. So for him, yeah. it was the people and their brains that I, he I was excited, even though he said, I don't really get it. I think it's an interesting combination of tech people and financial services people, right? Obviously, there's opportunities to make money. We were talking about Grayscale, but also in the crypto space and DeFi and, and earning, but also building on these technology platforms. And look, you get, you get beautiful things. You get Dogecoin out of this kind of development. It's awesome. By the way, James on my team is very into crypto, but he finds Dogecoin frustrating. It takes away from the legitimacy. Sure. Are you guys in that boat or do you like it? Oh, it's just a goof. I mean, it's just a goof. I think it's too early to tell what it is. I, I, I don't necessarily think of it as a goof. You don't know yet. I, I, read a, I read a column recently where somebody made an interesting point saying, just because it started as a goof doesn't mean it's a goof. Like right. Facebook started as like a thing to rate the girl. Yeah, it's all about networking. <laughs> right. So if enough people are mining Dogecoin because they think it's a thing, then the network effects make it actually valuable. And sure, I suppose. It, it, to me, it doesn't do anything interesting or useful. I'd much rather talk about smart contract forks that I think are actually doing really interesting things like Filecoin or stuff like that. I think those okay. are much more interesting than- Dogecoin. Here's another bar bet. All right, we're gonna go right down the line. Sorry, Jim, I'm just hijacking this. You're gonna to have to vet too. Okay, the year is, it's December, 2023. That'd be about two and a half years from now. Is there a Dogecoin ETF? Yes or no? Dave? No. no. Dave, no. other Dave? No. Jim? No. Okay, all right. No, I think that's a bridge. That's too far. Things like that will always exist, right? I mean, people get this way about stocks, right? Dogecoin is just GameStop. And there could GameStop be a loophole is- there. If you have an active crypto ETF, they so, might. Oh, that's buy, Look, if it's momentum based, you'd have to buy <clears throat> Dogecoin. Dogecoin might have to be in the Bitwise Ten at some point, right? Depending on where its market cap moves. It's the, is it the fourth so, biggest? Um, it was third for a while. Yeah, it's well, it's getting up there, and it's. I don't know what their regulations are and what gets into that index. If it's strictly market cap, but there may be some other restrictions, and you may see an uprising about that, right? There may be some manipulation of the rules to keep it out if they don't think it's real, like Dave. And, uh, but some investors may say, Hey, market cap driven top 10, let's go here. Right. It's, I mean, it's Could only be 35 billion at this point. It doesn't, I mean, and that's as like high as it's gotten almost only now. now you're saying only before you were like, Oh, billion dollars no, is huge. Now you're saying only no, 35 but point, billion, <laughs> but you know, as well as I do that struck off one individual coin trading at 26 cents. Now all of a sudden the market cap is huge, right? Yes. Well, that said though, 35 billion makes it the third or fourth biggest though. Right. Not a small like number. if it was the emerging yeah. markets, China would be Bitcoin obviously, but this would be like India. They're uh, currently sixth if we're keeping score. Okay. Yeah. So it's like India to the emerging markets. I mean, it's no slouch. It's in the- <laughs> Anyway, I, I, think I, I hear the you. difference is I think it's unlikely you're going to see just because it happens to have this flashy moment where it's risen up to being the sixth largest crypto. I don't no. think you're going to see an entire ecosystem built around using it for interesting purposes, which you have for even like the 10th you know, highest crypto has an interesting ecosystem, at least as an idea. There is no ecosystem around Dogecoin anybody wants to build. I also think we're we're in this frothy state where everything's up so much, stocks, bonds, like everything, that ridiculousness is just the only next step. And it's like bread and circus. I think if the Fed had let the market just go into pure hell and we saw active bond funds 
halting redemptions and the market went down more and more and 2020 was just like another 2008. I don't think Bitcoin would have had the big rush up it did. I think it's actually going to be correlated to the S&P for a while because I think a lot of people who came in this year are people who are looking for something a little more exciting because everything's so easy elsewhere. I think when stuff gets harder, they sell that first and keep their S&P 500. That's my theory. I could be wrong. That's it's why I don't highly see it uncorrelated though. I mean, it's the most uncorrelated asset to the S&P 500. Uh, right yeah, if you look may, at some I, of I the stuff on ramp is doing. I just think the basic vulnerability is a sell-off in stocks. Yeah, of course, because yeah. all assets go down. Yeah, short term, but I think it's good. Yeah. That, uh, you know, sell-off in stocks, big sell-off in stocks, very good for the cryptosphere. Unfortunately, we are at the end of our time. This is a blast. Like, we should just do this every once in a while. Super fun. Great. All in, all in. Yeah, thanks, so thanks fun. for doing it again. This uh, has McLaughlin Group vibes. <laughs> we're all yelling at each other it's you know it's great cool thanks jim all right thanks everyone thanks guys right, see ya bye pennies from heaven was produced by spark network jim wine and elizabeth thompson for more episodes find us on spotify apple podcasts and sparknetwork.com